You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Thanks for tuning into the Southern Way podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Haslam, and on this show, we cover all things hunting culture across the South, tips, tactics, and skills to better your pursuit. And of course, we'll do things the Southern Way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Southern Way Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Aslam, and I have today on the line Dr. Christopher Jenkins. Chris, thanks for being here. I appreciate you joining the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Mark. I've been uh, I've been listening to it ever since I got kind of cued into the podcast, seeing the the host change, and I've been listening to your episodes and and even going back and listening to some from the past. So, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, we, we're. Um, I'm having a fun time doing this, and um, that's one of the reasons why um, I'm glad that you joined because you hunt in some different areas that I do, and you hunt different different styles, different terrains. Um, before we get rolling on your past hunting season, can you tell the audience a little, a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, what, where you're from and everything like that? Yeah. Well, so first of all, as people can probably tell from my accent, it, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the South. I've kind of lived all over the, the country and um, moved uh, to the South most recently from the from the Rocky Mountains and uh, living pretty close to Yellowstone National Park. And uh, but I basically, you know, again, I've lived and in, in hunted and fished and, in, in, you know, multiple different parts of the country. And uh, but, you know, I've been in the South now for about 15 years. And, uh, you know, I just, I absolutely love it. Like, you know, I feel like I found my home and, uh, you know, I live in, uh, you mentioned slightly different area than a lot of people in the South and that I live up in the the Southern Appalachian region. And I live in the, uh, more specifically in the Chattahoochee national forest, um, out, uh, you know, kind of on the Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina line. And, uh, and, you know, I'm just, you know, surrounded by national forests and public lands and wilderness areas and, and water. So it's just great place to be and been outdoorsman. I, uh, in terms of, you know, for my day job, I'm, I'm the CEO of a wildlife conservation nonprofit where I get to do a lot of great work, uh, you know, conserving wildlife. And, uh, and then, you know, I also, play a role with a number of other nonprofits and, and probably the most relevant one is that I'm on the North American board for backcountry 
hunters and anglers, and I'm I'm very involved there, um, and specifically working to uh, you know conserve access to to public land for for hunters and anglers across the U.S. and Canada. So, well, nice. You, you got your hands full. Stay busy. Yeah, I always busy. I don't see I don't see how you have find time to hunt, but following you on Instagram, I it seems like you've you 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 make very um you, you do very well with time management when you do have <laughs> when you do have time to time to hunt. So let, let's with that being said, let's let's jump right into this because we've got a lot of ground to cover, I feel like. Um I Chris, I'd, I'd like to start talking about your black bear hunt, the one you killed, and then let's go right into your deer hunting because you were you had some success out there with some whitetail bucks. Yeah, what well, on the black bear? What? Where are you hunting? And 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 what's your what's your setup look like? I, I'm assuming bow. Uh, well, I do a combination of things. Okay. So first of all, um. You know, I start usually start my season, you know, with like a dove hunt, but then, uh, then I focus on black bears before I really start hunting deer um, hard. Because in general, in this southern Appalachian region, you know, our uh, whitetail rut is more of a, a December-based rut, and our uh, and so over time, your deer movement is, uh, you know, is increasing on on these national forests up here throughout the fall. Um, and then bears are kind of the opposite and bears are, um, bears, you know, bear hunting is very good early in the season and gets increasingly more difficult. So I spend basically when archery season opens, I, um, go into, to bear hunting mode. So, you know, mid to late September, um, I start, I start hunting for bears. Um, the other aspect of that, that, that lends well to bear hunting is, you know, I typically, you know, all the big game I hunt really anywhere in the country, I, I mostly hunt from the ground. I mean, I'll get in a tree stand if I'm on a property piece of private property that has, a, you know, set stands, but even there I'll hunt from the ground quite a bit. And so, and then with the bow, I also, you know, I use uh, trad bows. So, uh, you know, so I'm hunting from the ground, um, with a trad bow. So that early season, um, I, you know, I'm not focused on whitetails. My chances of getting a whitetail using my approach would be, be very, very low. And again, the bear hunting, uh, is, is just great. You can get closer to bears on the ground, um, uh, you know, easier. And, uh, and I just love, I love bear meat. It's, it's my favorite <laughs> meat in the woods. So, so what do you, um, what are you looking for as far as when you're going out to hunt black bear? Yeah. So let me, I didn't completely answer your question. Let me answer that. And then I'll get to your first question and just hit me and then I'll get to, to what you just asked. But so I'm, I'm hunting with archery equipment, you know, through the archery season in Georgia and I love bow hunting, but the minute I can pick up another weapon, I do if whether it's a muzzleloader or a rifle. And then uh, in Georgia, dog hunting is not allowed. It is allowed in North Carolina and in Tennessee. And so in Georgia, I'm hunting from the ground, you know, kind of like a slip type style. We can talk more, more uh, about that. But the other thing that Georgia has is that, you know, we have a series of WMAs in the mountain region and a number of those will have these short 
uh, you know, three, four day bear hunts that are rifle hunts. And so really, you know, once the archery season opens and goes up to our muzzleloader opener, you'll have multiple places that you can hunt bears with a rifle, um, but you just have to go to a particular place. So typically what my bear season will look like, um, you know, I'm archery hunting close to home throughout that at least month, month and a half window. And then throughout that, I'm, I'm making trips, oftentimes multi, multi-day trips, excuse me, to, um, to places, um, where I can use a rifle. And, uh, so, so it's kind of a mix in bear hunting in terms of the weapon I use, um, in terms of how I do it. I really, I love bear hunting. Uh, I, you know, I love whitetail hunting as well, but, but bears, you know, there's woodsmanship involved with all hunting. And that's how I hunt almost everything I hunt. I'm just very tuned into the woods and every tree and every little piece of sign in terms of feeding sign. And, you know, I just am like moving through the woods. And that's part of the reason I like to be on the ground and really uh, reading the woods. And, and with bears, in my mind, that it's almost like the ultimate woodsmanship uh type of hunt and so basically early in the season the reason the bear hunting is so good first of all you have the leaves on the trees still but the bears are really focused on certain food sources and bears are like this throughout the year i mean bears are, are known for this where they they're omnivores and they have very diverse diets but oftentimes their diets are focused on one thing for a time period and then it switches to something else, you know, and that could be from like deer fawns to some type of insect to some type of fruit. And, and they switch throughout the year like that. But in the early season here in Georgia, times really well, um, in particular with our white oaks. And so if you're having a good white oak year, bears are fully focused on white oaks. It'll be, you know, probably the only thing they're eating and they're out there. And uh, they climb the trees when you're hunting bears that time of year. You know, I would say it's about 50-50 in terms of, you know, whether I see them on the ground or in a tree. And they're, uh, they climb these trees and they, you know, they're, uh, they'll feed up in the canopy. But then they're also like snapping off these large branches that have multiple acorns on them, dropping them to the ground. So as you're looking for bear sign, um, their scat becomes very distinct. Obviously it's bear scat, but it, it almost has like a peanut butter look and consistency to it when they're fully on the white oaks. Um, and you get pretty good at aging, you know, bear scat, how long it's been sitting there on the ground. You're also looking for, um, you're also looking for, uh, around white oaks in particular, but it can be around red oaks or, you know, some type of gum tree or, you know, depending where you are, you're looking for these branches that are all broken and, and laying at the base of a tree. And similarly, you also get very good at aging those branches and approximately how long they've been broken off. And what you're looking for is, is very fresh bear sign. Um, you know, even more so than when I hunt deer, it's, it's really sign based. So how I might typically hunt, this is an example. There's a lot of variations on it, but I might be on a high Ridge in the mountains and I'm moving the entire time. And so I'm, I'm walking slowly. You always have to kind of be aware of your surroundings because, um, bears 
more, you know, unlike deer, um, they're much more likely to just walk into you. You know, you're, you're much more likely to see one. They're just, they care less. They're, they're, you know, as long as they don't smell you, um, you're just, you know, you could easily be walking through the woods and one will just come lumbering by. And so you always got to kind of be aware um, but you're, you're moving and you're looking for fresh bear sign. And the only time I will really kind of set up, and this is with a gun or a bow, is if I get into that really fresh bear sign. Because once they've, uh, you know, once you've found that, once the bears have found, say, like a grove of trees, you know, a lot of bears might stay in that grove and just feed and feed and feed for days. Um, they will, of course, come down and, you know, go, you know, rest or bed, you know, usually within a hundred yards or, you know, somewhere right there. Sometimes they'll do that up in the trees, but it, it's really a game of covering a lot of miles in the mountains, learning how to read sign and then hunting that sign. And, you know, again, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll sit on really good sign um, or lots of times I'll kind of still hunt through areas that have um, really good sign. So it's, it's a, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's it's really just a woodsmanship, sign reading, very active style of hunting here in Georgia. Yeah, no, that was very thorough, and I uh, especially find, finding the sign when you set up on the ground. What does that look like exactly? Especially if you're using a um, a trad bow. What what do you do? You have a ground blind. Or are you just posting up under a tree? Do you make it? I mean, what what does that look like? I mean, really, with all my hunting, including deer hunting, I'm incredibly mobile, and I'm covering a lot of ground in in most cases. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to be as lightweight as possible. And so, no, I don't carry things like blinds. And then, in particular, with bears, you know, they really, you know, they don't see anywhere near as well as a as a deer. And so sight is, is less of a uh, concern, but so in terms of setting up, if I'm going to sit in one place, um, if I find really, really heavy feeding sign that I want to sit in that area, um, you know, I will, uh, I'll typically, you know, kind of just like you would Turkey hunting, I, I would sit up against a tree or I'll, I'll sit on a log I'll oftentimes in those groves of trees, um, I'll look for bear trails. Bears make very oftentimes in areas that they're using a lot, their trails are very distinctive and they'll use the same trails over and over. And if you've ever seen a heavily worn bear trail, you can almost see the pads of the bear's feet from where they've stepped in those hundreds of times. They're almost like these little depressions one after another. So I will kind of, if I'm going to sit on a grove, I will look for features like that. And I might set up on the trail. If I can't find something like that, I, uh, you know, I might set up nearby. And again, they're, they're a little bit different than a deer in that you've got, as, as long as they don't smell you, you have a little bit of room to work with. So even with a bow, let's just say I was sitting in a grove of oaks where a bear had been feeding, but the bears weren't there. And then later that afternoon, I'm sitting and, and a bear comes in and it's feeding, you know, I don't know, 75 yards away. Um, you know, I will physically get up and make these relatively slow, quiet stalks. And again, they don't see as well. Um, I don't know how well they hear, but, but, you know, they're just not, they're nowhere near, um, 
you know, as alert to a deer. I actually kind of liken them to like a hog and I'm, I'm sure you've yeah. done some hunting for hogs. You just, their senses aren't quite as sharp, you know, and it's, it's kind of like that. So yes, I yeah. see the hog behind you on your wall. You've definitely done some hog hunting. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I've never, I've never done bear hunting. I've been invited, um, this past year, a friend of mine, um, North Georgia, it just didn't work out. Um, but I, I, this has been very fascinating listening to you talk about the woodsmanship style to it, because a lot of people, well, I shouldn't say a lot. When I've heard folks talk about bear hunting, whether it's in the South or up in, I've heard people, people talk like Michigan, the, the different places, or maybe it's more dense or the hunters would kind of describe it like the bears just walk aimlessly through, through the woods. And there's almost, they're not saying this, but it's almost like no rhyme or reason. And, and you just kind of sit somewhere, you climb or you, and, or you post up and you just wait as if like a, you know, uh, blind squirrel find an acorn or you dump out trash or some type of bait. So this is interesting hearing you talk about this because I, I you know, I, I have not heard this side before. It makes me think now you're talking about white oaks, early season, where you're hunting for bear, what's the concentration of whitetails look like? Because you described uh, bears similar to like pigs, hogs, which I think a lot of folks out there can understand what that's like. Hunt pigs, stalking them. But do you, how often do you get busted by deer? Does that ever happen while you're bear hunting? And, and with that affect the bears, I mean, let's say you're post up on the ground, good bear sign, but downwind you've got a white tail doe is, does, does that ever happen? Does that spook the bear? Or, and then my other follow-up question is what's the relationship that you see when you're hunting bear on their natural movement feed patterns, everything like that with, with deer. I mean, are they meeting, you know, people see turkeys with deer all the time, sometimes pigs too, that type of thing, but are they getting close to each other or the bears kind of rolling roll the roost, so to speak? Mm -hmm. uh, so, <clears throat> you know, the, fir the first thing I'd say is that where I hunt deer in the mountains and, and I hunt them in other areas, are, I mean, there are incredibly low deer densities. You know, you hear people say in the Northeast, for example, some of these like snow trackers up North that like deer densities are real low. I've hunted up there doing that. And there are some places I've been up there that it's like that, but in general, even these places they call low density are, are, are higher density than, than kind of these high peaks in the Southern Appalachian. So incredibly low deer densities. I cannot remember uh, an instance where I've had a, you know, a, a bear and a deer in the same general frame. I mean, I, I have jumped probably a couple deer when I'm bear hunting, but, but it's, uh, you know, just such low probability. Again, I hunt places in, in South Georgia and yeah. other places where, you know, there are high densities of deer, um, but it, it's just not like that. I mean, you're, you're as likely, probably as likely to jump another, you know, another bear or a, or a hog. So um, it, it's just incredibly low densities in terms of the interaction between the uh, bears and the deer. I don't, 
suspect that there would be some major direct interaction. Um, I mean, even though there are pretty good bear numbers in the Southern Appalachians, it's not like it's just there's bears everywhere. And there's like this indirect competition thing where say the bears are eating all the acorns and the deer don't get them. Right. You know, there's, there's not that, you know, the, the big interaction time. Well, and then the other thing I should say is that it, it would be a rare event for a bear uh, to kill, you know, a mature deer. I, mean, I don't, it, I'm sure it happens, but it's pretty rare. But bears in the mountains are a significant predator on deer fawns. I mean, you yeah. know, there's a study in the Chattahoochee that, uh, you know, studied uh, fawns from mountain deer in these real low density areas I'm talking about. And um, I can't remember the percentage, but it was well over 80. That may have been in the 90s, you know, percent of these fawns um, were killed. And I think the largest percentage of, of reasons that they were killed was due to bears, um, with coyotes being pretty close as well. So bears have a huge impact on deer populations, um, but it's primarily um, through that, you know, you know, through the, them feeding on fawns. It's kind of like, you know, when I was, I was talking earlier about bears, how they have a real diverse diet and they're known for that, but they have these real switches where they focus in on things. There's a time of year when bears are largely focused on deer fawns kind of like there's a time of year when they're largely focused on acorns. That's right. Yeah. That's um, I've actually, I've read that study that you're referring to um, that, that, that deer density or the fawn mortality studies. I've referenced it. Um, I referenced that, that study in an article I wrote, I think about creating fawn cover. And if I'm not mistaken, one of the challenges they have, of course, they have bear, but it's the habitat. It, it's it's not the cover's not there, and a lot of times where you find high fawn mortality, it's it's the lack of cover. It, it's the lack of something on, on the habitat for them to um, for them to hide. Before yeah, exactly. we move I off, mean, of, yeah. well, I was just going to say there there's been a there's a great study that look at broad patterns over time, and you're exactly right in the Ap southern Appalachian region. At this point in time, there's very little early successional or young yeah. forest. And so that does a couple of things with deer, for example, there's, there's uh, nowhere near the browse you might have, but like you said, there's nowhere near the cover as well. And it affects other animals. There's a whole suite of them, like rough grouse would be one of the big ones that people would yeah. think about. And so, yeah, it's kind of, you know, bear and deer, you know, should be able to both live on these landscapes really throughout the Southeast. But you're right. What if you look at, if you look, imagined a graph and you had the uh, kind of, let's call it the condition of forest health, meaning like a diversity of several states, meaning like young forest, middle-aged forest, old forest, you know, and that's declining over time to a point that it's at today. And then you have, uh, you have bear populations doing the opposite they're increasing over time in the Appalachian region and then you have the deer populations in response or, you know in response to that vegetation and pressure from bears and other things also declining over time kind of in somewhat in correlation with that decline in habitat so 
yeah, bears are on the increase right now and, and deer are on the decrease in this, you know, Southern Appalachian region. Well, I, before we move off of bear, I, bears, I got, I got two questions. One, now that I got you on the line and, and you know, you know, bear and, 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 and hunting them, you've described in, in very great detail feeding, being, being able to age, um, when he said a- aging the scat, I'd, at first I was thinking aging uh, the bear itself based on the scat, but how you were saying you were saying <laughs> how long the scat's been there. Correct. What, what is it? And I, I'm asking this because I truly don't know. What does it look like? I mean, like what what does their bed? I mean, where are they bedding, sleeping? I mean, what what does that look like? Kind of wh- where they're choosing? Is there any rhyme or reason? um wherever they want no (laughs) no um i would say early in the season when you have a lot of foliage it is somewhat wherever they want i mean you have to think about a bear in today's world i mean they have except for humans you know maybe hogs could kind of scare them off but like there's really no nothing for them to be terribly concerned about with the exception of other bears and so you know if you find a again, a grove of oaks that they're feeding in heavy, you know, they might just climb down a tree and go 50 yards and lay down, you know, on the forest floor. Um, I will say that one of the reasons bear hunting gets harder as the season goes on one, the way I understand it is that they're, they're moving less. They're not moving quite as far. You know, I mentioned that bears will focus in on say a grove of trees, which is true, but you know, bears also have incredible capacity to move. So you could be hunting a, a grove of trees and that bear could just decide to like up and move miles away. So they have the capacity to, to really move. But, you know, as you get later in the season, um, you know, you just don't see as many bears um, moving. Once those leaves drop off the trees, they do stick a little bit more to cover and their food becomes a little bit less predictable so up here cover would be like mountain laurel thickets you know rhododendron thickets things like that so they become harder harder to see and at at that time of year once all the leaves are gone i'm guessing they you know they are probably bedding in more so in in thick areas they'll also you know spend time in trees and and one thing a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of our bears in the southern appalachian region you know in the winter you know, they'll actually overwinter in trees. So they go up into these dead trees and they're like physically inside of them, you know, you know, they'll, that'll be kind of where they're hibernating. It's not necessarily always this rock cliff that, that people kind of envision. So they, they can be up in the trees as well. That's interesting. Okay. Before we move off bear, one last question Um, to the people out there listening. um, And people say this about, you know, you mentioned hogs there's, there's a contingent out there of hunters that just won't touch wild pigs. And I've eaten wild pigs across the board, right on coastal marshes. It's all about how you kill them and eat them or how you kill them and cook them, prep them, excuse me. What? Give us a pitch as to why you like bear meat. Mm-hmm. What do you like so, about it? And, 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 what, and, and then what's the stigma why people don't, why it's not good meat? I'm not sure that the stigma, because I've never had bad bear meat. I had, okay. you know, I, I ate a lot of hogs um, as well. And I have had a couple out of, you know, I'm talking 
over a hundred, but I've had a couple that there was something off with them and it could have been how they died or how I processed them. But in general, hogs are great too. Um, but I've never had a bad bear, but the way I would sell it to you is that if you were to compare wild game meat, you find in the woods to different types of domestic meat. What bears are the closest meat in the woods to beef. And that is because they're, uh, you know, deer, as you know, you know, their fat is primarily outside of their muscle. Whereas like the reason we love a ribeye steak from an Angus is because it's all, you know, got all that fat intermixed. And so bears and, and hogs to a degree as well, their fat is more intermixed with their muscles. Um, and so it, it just, it tastes incredible. If you take a cut of bear and you, you know, pop it in some type of slow cooker and head to work for the day and you get back, I mean, you've <laughs> essentially got pot roast and you can, you know, you can just eat it like that or have tacos or whatever. The, the other thing I would say is that uh, you, you do need to be aware and this is with hogs too, but, you know, trichinosis is a real thing. And uh, a good percentage of bears in North America have trichinosis, which is a parasite. And so you do need to cook bear meat above a certain temperature. And which means you're not eating bear meat, you know, any, any form of like medium or, or rare, you know, you're, you're always cooking bear meat. Luckily it is fatty enough. If you want to eat a bear steak, you can cook it hot enough and they're still great. But I typically slow cook my bear and then make tacos or just eat it like that. Or I'll make like sausages out of them. Uh, but, but you want to cook, cook your bear meat. Well, and the last thing I'll say about why bears in terms of eating is that it's, it's not just, you know, the, the, the trophy part of them, you know, when you kill a bear, you get a great skull, um, you get, uh, you know, potentially you get the hide if you want to make a rug. So you get that component. Um, you get this great meat that's really fatty, but then the other thing, when you get a nice fat fall bear, um, I, you go in and, and sometimes like around those hind quarters, I've killed bears that have like six inches of fat all around their hands Ooh. and you cut that off, you know, and you'll literally have, you know, tens of, you know, 40 pounds sometimes of fat. And then what you do is you take all that fat and you cube it all up and you cook it, you, you put it on, on a, a burner and you cook it down. And what happens is all the oils come out of that fat. And then you have two more products. What you have after that is you have a bunch of bare pork rinds, which are the chunks of fat that are, are now these crunchy little hard fat nuggets. And then the other thing you have is all this bear grease and it's rendered. So you don't need to refrigerate it. And so I just bottle, you know, I render all the fat down. I take all that oil, put it all like in mason jars and I just stick it up in my cupboards. You know, again, you don't need to refrigerate it once it's rendered. And so, uh, and then that's how we cook, you know, like, uh, what did I have last night? I had wild Turkey. I just had some like cutlets and I was just sauteing them up and, uh, you know, I poured half an inch of bear grease or not even half an inch, just quarter inch bear grease in the bottom of the cast iron skillet, got that hot. And so, you know, I cook my eggs in it. I mean, you bake with it. Damn. Um, but most of our cooking oil for the year, uh, comes from the, the bear as well. And uh, the last thing I'll say about bears and food, the other negative you do have to 
be aware of is that bear meat can go rancid faster than deer meat in general, because, uh, but it all has to do with the fat because the fat is what really goes bad. And so the bear meat mm -hmm. has the fat all worked through the muscles. And so, um, you do want to eat your bear meat up. You don't want to be saving bear meat and eating it two years later. Generally all my bear meat's gone by the time next bear season comes around. Well, you sold me. I'll tell you <laughs> next. Yeah. It sold me. <laughs> I told you that was the last question. I'm just sitting here thinking, I got one more. You're deep in the woods. You're deep up the mountain, wherever. You kill a bear. Are you mm -hmm. quartering it up? How are you getting it out? Most definitely. So that's the other downside of bear hunting. People need to go in like eyes completely wide open. I mean, most of my deer, I end up cutting up and packing out too. But yeah. like when you get a big bear on the ground, it, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but there's a lot more effort that goes into the whole process of going from a whole bear, getting it back to your vehicle or camp or whatever it might be. I think, first of all, you've got the hide and, you know, I know people, some people keep deer hides and tan them and all that, but, but, you know, typically, well, with any bear in most any state, you need to bring the hide in and have it checked. So you have to get the hide off. You can't just cut it off in little pieces and leave it in the woods. So you get the hide off. So yeah. you're skinning the entire animal. Um, and, and it's, it's just that they're, they just are more awkward to work with on the ground as compared to a deer. And then the other thing is all that fat I talked about, while it's so great to eat and it's so great intermixed with the meat, when you're cutting up a bear, like you are like covered in like oil, like your hands are greasy, your knife is soaked in grease, your pants are, are like they're soaked in oil. And so everything's just more slippery. So yeah, I don't want to paint any unreal uh, pictures here <laughs> for folks cutting up a bear and then getting them out is, is serious work. And the other thing people need to be aware of, even in this region, uh, in the Southeast that you can, uh, you know, you can shoot a 400 pound bear. So you need to be prepared and, and, you know, you could be six miles from a vehicle in these places that I hunt and knock down a 400 pound animal. And, uh, you know, so you, you just need to be prepared for that type of, of effort. And I've, you know, I mean, I've shot bears out West and wilderness areas that, you know, had to pack them 10 miles and take planes and all that. I mean, it's shooting bears generally can be a significant amount of work, but most bears you'll shoot here in the Southeast will be, you know, somewhere in that like hundred to 200 pound range. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that, that's impressive. I got to say, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, hunting them the way you described that woodsmanship and then packing them out. I mean, that's, that's legit. Hunter. I mean, that's, yeah. You got to be a man to do that kind of stuff. I mean, that's not, that's, that's, that's not, that's, that's not for the week. I can tell you that I haven't done it, but I just based on what you described, um, in that, man, I, I got to tell you, what has been impressive following you, you had a very successful deer season, and you shot three bucks. And can you talk a little bit, I mean, based on what you just said about how you bear hunt, what you're looking for, I'm assuming there's some, there's some probably similarities, or is there, uh -huh. with how you hunt deer? Because what wasn't two of them it, in North yes. Georgia? 
Yeah. So this year I shot three bucks. Okay. And um, I do spend, you know, the, so our rut here in the, you know, like in the Georgia mountains and North Carolina mountains, you know, we have a, a, a you know, an early December rut. And so, you know, once I'm kind of wrapping up with bear season, I'm doing some bird hunting, but then I focus in on first hunting deer um, down in some of the big swamp areas in South Georgia. And I killed one deer there. And then, um, and then I come back up and hunt the Appalachian region. You know, I live in the Blue Ridge mountains and, and I go out and hunt the Cumberland plateau and in, in Tennessee as well. And, uh, anyways, this year, yeah, I shot two bucks in the, um, you know, in the Appalachian region and there, th I shot three bucks in Georgia. I mean, you're, I'm sure aware of this Mark. Um, but just to let your audience know, you know, on a, your base license in Georgia, you can shoot two bucks and 10 does, but there are all these bonus hunts all over the state on WMAs where you can go. And if you shoot a buck and most of them, you shoot two bucks. Um, if you shoot a buck, the state tags it for you and it doesn't go to your, uh, you know, nice. to your limit. That's how I ended up shooting three, uh, George deer this year. One was a bonus buck on a WMA. Nice. So when you're, when you're up in the mountains, what, what do you, how are you hunting these bucks? I mean, what mm -hmm. were you, is this, are these areas that, that you've been hunting for years and you, and you know the terrain, or were you going in there scouting when you're bear hunting? I mean, it, it, are you, are you, yeah, can you just explain how, how it came to be that you killed those, those, mm -hmm. those two um, mountain bucks? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, but I'll remind everybody incredibly low densities of deer. And so finding a, uh, a, let's just say a three and a half year old or older, um, which in the mountains is kind of, if I see a three and a half year old deer in the mountains, I'm, I'm killing it, you know? And so, uh, finding that is, is a huge feat. And, you know, I'll, sometimes I'll hunt 30, 40 days in the mountains. And if I do that and put in the energy, first of all, and, and kind of increase my probabilities of getting lucky, you know, I usually get one or two opportunities, but you got to put in a lot of energy. And, uh, so, Again, incredibly low densities it, in the kind of my process really starts with uh, the mast, meaning the acorns and, and how they're distributed. And they can vary year to year. There can be a lot of them everywhere. There can be very few. There can be uh, no acorns up high, but a lot down low, vice versa. So, you know, and I'm getting some of that throughout the summer you know, using binoculars and early season, like we said, hunting bears and, um, but I'm getting a feel for the patterns of the acorns because that's going to affect how I look, uh, for buck signs. So when I hunt mountain bucks, I'm primarily hunting around the rut, meaning, you know, I mean, I'm starting a couple weeks before, you know, yeah. what would be kind of a median, uh, you know, doe, uh, pregnant doe date or whatever you want to call it. But, um, but so it, it's really a rut style of hunting. And again, I'm locating where I think um, the deer will be generally based on, based on elevation, um, those types of things uh, uh, based on the, the acorns that year. And then I'm similar to the bears. I cover a lot of ground 
And what I'm looking for, I, I always call them buck pockets. And what I mean by that is areas with significant amount of buck sign. And when I tell people this, you know, you know, they're always, you know, I get a lot of questions like, how do you kill mountain bucks almost every year? And I'm telling them this strategy. People are like, oh, that's rocket science. You find buck sign in the rut. But, but the difference, you have to start <laughs> with where we're starting. It's different than like the places I hunt in South Georgia. Like, yeah, you can find some variation in sign. And I bet it's similar on, on your property. Like, yeah, there's probably hot spots for sign, kind of sign everywhere in the mountains. Yeah. I mean, it's you, there's such low deer densities that you can really be in what seems like a desert, uh, for, for buck sign, we'll say, you know, things like rubs and scrapes and tracks and all the things we all think about. And, and then you find these pockets where just, uh, an incredible amount of sign and, and you can look at the sign, you know, however you might, uh, you know, however you might classify it whether it's the size of the rubs the height of the rubs but but in general these high density pockets and then what i do is i take those areas and they can be you know acres they can be smaller bigger but i take that general area of that buck pocket and then i break it down just like you do anything else probably like you do on your property in south carolina you know i'm looking at cover i'm looking at topography I'm looking at, uh, you know, just slope and aspect and all of these things. And, and then I'm defining what I would call uh, like kill spots and, uh, you know, just like you would on any other property. And, and, and then I'm hunting those places, uh, you know, oftentimes pretty intensively when I can afford it, you know, I'll do full day sits and uh, yeah. It's, and then I do a lot of, I do a fair amount of moving in the mountains too, especially when there's been like rain or snow and, and, and the woods are kind of quiet. Um, yeah. you know, I do quite a bit of still hunting, but, but the whole, the way to get to the point of killing a deer is narrowing it down. If you just go sit anywhere, you know, kind of in the higher peaks region and the Southern Appalachians, your chances of seeing a deer are next to nothing. And that's why I probably don't see them when I'm bear hunting. Cause I'm not focused in, but so I'm narrowing that down to a smaller area where I'm increasing my probabilities and then I'm hunting them, you know, again, in a lot of similar ways, you know, that, that you would hunt a deer anywhere, but it's, it's, it's all about shrinking that landscape down. So, um, and then just like, like any other place is, uh, you know, thick, even in the mountains where there's so much wide open after the leaves fall, you know, these deer love thick areas. Yeah. That's, that's, that is definitely spot on. Okay. I, it first question I have based on what you told me, if you're hunting, uh, hunt deer during the rut, low density numbers, do you notice anything differently? Um, as opposed to when, when you have hunted in kind of normalish or to high densities, meaning are the bucks, do you think they're traveling more or are they on their feet more because there's lower densities, not as many does close by? Do you notice anything of that? Or are they just, or is it low densities and these bucks know how to survive and yeah, they're going to try to breed, but they're not going to, you know, run 10 miles a day to try to do it. Do you, do you notice any kind of a behavioral differences? Mm -hmm. In those areas? Well, first thing I'd say is I suspect, I don't know for sure, 
but I suspect that the deer in the mountains, because of the low density, is quite a bit more. And, and I will tell you one anecdote that like with these buck pockets, as I call them, one thing that usually holds pretty true is that when you find one of these buck pockets, there's oftentimes you're in an area where there are some does just generally in that area. Go. Even in going into those areas, like once you narrow it down, say I'm on like a four-day hunt. It's like a limited four-day hunt. That's all you can hunt it. I mean, I'll go into great places, great, you know, terrain features, you know, compounding habitat type, stick cover, lots of sign. I'm doing everything right. And it'd be nothing. I mean, nothing not to, to sit for four days and only kill or not even kill, not even see a deer. That'd be perfectly normal. And so, you know, like, so this year, for example, uh, the first buck I killed in the mountains was like that. It was on a, a managed, like a more restricted hunt on a WMA, uh, a mountain WMA. And, uh, you know, I hunted, you know, the four days and I saw one deer and it was the buck I killed. Um, and then, uh, the second buck I killed was just on uh, public land. It's just a natural forest proper. And I'm trying to think, but I hunted, I don't know. I probably hunted 20 days before killing that deer. And, and I think that was the fourth deer, the other three being does. Oh, I saw a spike too. So say that was the, it was about the fifth deer I saw in 20 wow. days of hunting. I mean, it was an ancient old deer, so I was perfectly happy. But that's that's the style, honey. You don't come up here. I don't care if it's bears or deer. You don't come up in the mountains for the type of experience you'd get in other places where you're sitting. And, you know, places I hunt, other places I hunt, if I don't see five to ten deer, whatever they are, hmm. It's, it's kind of like, what's going on? It's <laughs> not like that at all. Yeah. You could sit for a week and not see anything. And I'm sorry, I forgot how I got on that rant. Oh, you were talking about their movements. So I suspect the bucks move yeah. much, much more. But um, And sometimes I'll get up and, and f- try to find other buck pockets. But they're not, these aren't, these pockets in most places aren't going to just be over the next ridge. Like these are, th- these are, you know, I'll find a handful every year, but that's across, you know, a county or two. And so, um, you know, I think these, I suspect that these bucks are moving further on average just during the rut simply because, you know, the deer or, or, you know, the does would be, you know, also lower density and to hit multiple groups, they're going to have to travel more, but I don't have any like quantitative data on that, but that's, um, what I, what I would certainly suspect. Yeah. I've, I've never come across, um, or I've never read anything, any kind of studies like that. GPS, I mean, most of the GPS type whitetail studies and research I, I've read, it's usually if it's in that type type of terrain, they're they're looking at what we said earlier, fawn mortality, fawn survival, fawn yep. recruitment, and not necessarily movements like that. Because most of the GPS studies for movement, buck movement is in the deep South, you know, Mississippi, yep. South Carolina, some Georgia. That's fascinating. I mean, you know, you would think that, I mean, that buck you were describing, um, 
the wide block. I mean, that, that was, I mean, they were all impressive, but that one was just, just, just insane. I mean, that, that that's, uh, um, I gotta tell you, I mean, you're, you're really building yourself up. It's quite, it's quite the hunter. I mean, this is, um, one just having the, the mental capacity to, you know, most hunters, they want to challenge after a while, you know, you hit that people, t- you know, uh, people have written and talk about the different stages of hunters as you had g- gradually, you know, progress through your life. And at a certain, certain point, um, a hunter wants a challenge, but, and we can put ourselves in any, any, any bit scenario, maybe you're in high density, but you want to rattle a buck or you want to decoy a buck, or you want to do this or that or bow hunt or whatever, but what you're describing is something that can be, I would say, pretty daunting just to think about going through just a, the mental capacity of, you know, seeing one to four deer after four or five days of hunting. Um, let's, and that's highly impressive. I got to say, Chris, um, <laughs> let's well, talk you. about your, you know, we, we kind of covered the big game, the bear, deer, what does the rest of the year, what does the rest of your calendar year look like as you as a woodsman, um, hunting and yeah. fishing, you know, it's mid February right now. Can you kind of walk us through what is the rest of you when you're not, mm-hmm. when you're not getting your, getting covered in grease, you know, to collect <laughs> jars of, you know, rendered bear fat and these mountain bucks, what, what are you pursuing? Cause based on what you've you know talked about, you you've got quite the drive to get out there and and pursue game. Yeah, I mean the first thing I'd say is that you know I live a life. This is a hunting and fishing and my work, which are all tightly linked. They all have to do with conservation and wildlife. Um, my whole life is kind of this. It's more of a lifestyle, and so my big drive is not to. Like, I don't just focus in on one thing. I don't just say focus in on deer. And, you know, there are some people that are 365 deer. And I completely recognize that there are things you can do relative to whitetails year round that will increase your chances and, um, and, and, and you know, be enjoyable. But I, what I do, I also don't necessarily count the things that I kill. I mean, you know, something like the number of deer, it's a small enough number. I can tell you what the number is, but I don't count the number of of deer, necessarily the number of inches, uh, any of that, Uh, what I count is the number of days. And so I live a very flexible lifestyle where I try to hunt and fish as many days a year as I can. And uh, it's usually around 150 days a year that I'm either out hunting or fishing. And so what my whole year transitions. And so I'm doing different things at different times of the year. I'm not doing any summer scouting for deer unless it's kind of incidental with something else I'm doing. I'm always switching uh, to the next thing. And, uh, you know, people are like, how do you do that? I mean, first of all, I have a flexible work schedule, a lot of which requires a lot of thought and strategy. Um, and so it lends well to quiet moments in the woods. And then, um, the other thing is that I live in the national forest. So, you know, a, a number of these days might be two, three hours in the morning, turkey hunting, then I'm in the office for eight hours. So it's very convenient. I mean, I can literally, I can, from my house, 
hunt three states. That's the other thing. I live at the junction of three states. I can hunt all three of those states. It's all public land. I can walk out my back door and hunt. So it's, it's very accessible. I'm not having to leave a city to get out there. So that's the focus for me is I count the number of days that I hunt fish. So I start off, um, you know, now we're in the beginning of the year. So we're really kind of at the end of the fall season. And so what I'm doing is kind of finishing off, you know, in January, I'll kind of be finishing up kind of woodcock season. I do a lot of upland bird hunting, have bird dogs, love it. And, um, you know, I'll do some quail hunting now and then, uh, you know, when I get invites to, to bigger plantations, um, and then I'll, I'll be squirrel hunting off and on, you know, slipping out for a couple hours here or there when I can. Um, and then I'd say February is kind of the slowest month, uh, but we do have what's called a delayed harvest for trout up here in the mountains where they stock trout and you have to release them. Um, and so I'll slip out a handful of times in February um, in, in trout fish. I might do some hog hunting on private ground in South Georgia. And then I, I, I transition into turkey season and I hunt turkeys really hard. Um, you know, I mean, you, you think I kill a lot of deer. I, you know, I'm, many years I'm killing eight, nine, 10 turkeys. And, uh, you know, I hunt every year. I, I usually start in March in Florida um, and then, you know, kind of move up. And I'll, almost every year I'll, I'll hunt Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, sometimes South Carolina. And then I'll make some trips this year. I'm heading to Texas, uh, might be heading to Michigan. So I'll make a couple turkey trips too. But basically I take turkey season um, really from March to um, really to the end of May. I'm hunting turkeys somewhere. And then when May wraps up, um, I get back to fishing and I end up, I do a little bit of trout fishing. It's still pretty good in the mountains, but I got a little turned off by the crowd. So what I've really gotten into in recent years is uh, warm water species fly fishing. So I do a lot of fly fishing all summer for things like smallmouth. I, I love to travel around Georgia and Alabama and try to get these different species of red-eye bass, like Bartram's bass, Chattahoochee bass, Coosa bass, Tallapoosa bass, all that group of of bass. So I'm, I'm doing that really all summer. Um, and then as the fall comes back in, I always start with doves. I love to shoot doves and, um, do a couple big dove shoots and I'll, I'll shoot some doves on public land. Um, and then, uh, I transition into the bear season, uh, that we talked about. And then, uh, when bear season wraps up, I really, uh, like to hunt uh, grouse. And so I focus on grouse in the high country of, of North Carolina. So I'll do that for a couple weeks. Um, and then I, I start to transition into, um, hunting deer in, in the big swamps uh, of South Georgia. I head down and I do that. And then I, uh, you know, and then I come back up and I do the mountain hunting for deer in the Blue Ridge. And then after that, I go over to the Cumberland Plateau where the rut is just a little bit later, um, hunt there. And then I really kind of dive all in on woodcock uh, and hunting woodcock in the south uh, with with uh, English cockers, which it's a bird dogs that I have, uh, is, is absolutely one of my favorite things to do on the planet. And so I hunt a lot of woodcock through December and, and January, you know, as the seasons allow. And then, you know, and then take some squirrel hunting and kind of smatter that all through and then take a couple big trips in the fall, whatever they might be a bird hunting trip this past year, it was, 
grouse in the Adirondacks. I did that twice. Um, and, you know, but it could be, you know, mule deer in Idaho or whatever it might be. So, um, and then I just kind of repeat and it'll vary year to year, but in general, I just live this life where I'm hunting or fishing year round, conserving wildlife, conserving public land and wild places. And, and, uh, yeah, just living the dream, man. Sounds like it. That's a, that's a full schedule. I bet you have a, you must have a couple freezers in your house with, with <laughs> yeah. all the meat. Yeah. We have a lot of meat. Um, a couple questions, turkeys, you hunt turkeys sure. all over, not necessarily what state, but what region, and it could be like an isolated region, but what, what region is, is in your opinion, just one of the toughest areas to hunt Turkey. Maybe not, I'm not necessarily talking about like low densities, but is there just, mm-hmm. and maybe you haven't really noticed anything, but are, are there some areas where, I mean, like, where I'm in South Carolina, it's it's no surprise. I mean, I've I've seen the presentations from our DNR because they're proposing some some uh, season changes. But the success of turkey hunters, it's like I mean, it it you know it 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 um, the majority of birds are killed the first weekend, the first week, mm-hmm. and then it trends down. There's all kinds of studies out there about gobbling effects. Our birds they'll gobble that first week in that first week. And then it just tapers off to like nothing. What is, I mean, is there a distinctive region area where the birds are just challenging to kill, to get in front of not necessarily low, low numbers, but they're just tough. Yeah. I mean, I would say my favorite, I love to hunt turkeys anywhere that turkeys exist. I've hunted them in Mexico and, you know, all over the Rocky mountains and up North. And, but my favorite region to hunt turkeys is the Southeast. And a lot of it has to do, I mean, this is just, this is the heart of it, man. It's where like the, the, the passion and, and the heritage, it's just something about it. It's, I love it. Like, you know, it's, it reminds me of, you know, I mentioned earlier, those, um, those whitetail tracking guys up in places like Maine that are wearing, you know, the red check jackets and all that. Like (laughs) for me in the Southeast, uh, Turkey hunting is that. And so I love it. I also call it one of the most challenging regions and, uh, you know, I haven't hunted every state, but I've hunted a lot of them. And, uh, you know, Eastern's, I, I don't know if there's like a subspecies that's, that's more difficult, uh, than another in some ways I would say, Easterns are, are easier than Merriam's in some ways I'd say Merriam's are easier than Easterns, but, um, and then, uh, you know, vice versa as well. But, uh, you know, the Southeast is very difficult because you have that heritage. We have a lot of hunters. Um, as you mentioned, our, our populations, uh, have declined significantly in the Southeast. We could do a whole podcast on this. I'm, I'm, you know, would love to dive deep into all of that and talk about brood habitat and all these different components, but I know we don't have time, but, yeah, I, I do think the Southeast in, in general is, is, you know, the hardest region to hunt turkeys because of the pressure and, and really because of the declining populations. And there might be, you know, some behavioral changes in turkeys. You mentioned them, you know, you know, they, they stop gobbling earlier, whatever it might be. I also don't, I don't hunt turkeys kind of like with deer. I don't hunt turkeys in the classic way. I mean, I call, but, um, but you know, I'm not, I'm, you never going to see me win a calling contest. Um, I kill a lot of turkeys that, ne- that never gobble. Um, 
you know, and, and it's just a whole variety of techniques I use. Again, we could do a whole episode on it, but, but I would say, I do think the Southeast uh, is the most difficult, uh, you know, our populations, uh, you know, there are places where turkeys are doing well and, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, in the Southeast, certainly, but, you know, overall, I mean, there is an undeniable trajectory in many of our states where they're in decline and it's getting harder. I mean, you know, I would not recommend anybody come up to the region I live in, the Chattahoochee National Forest right now and hunt turkeys. Our turkey hunting has declined significantly. You know, they say Arkansas declined by 60% um, when it hit that big, that big, you know, downfall that everybody talks about as a poster child. I mean, I, I think the from when I moved here 15 years ago to now, the turkey hunting is more has declined more so it's more like 70 80 percent of what it used to be 15 years ago so um so yeah southeast is hard but i love it yeah it's you're you're right about that it's like uh there's some there's some pockets you know around around the southeast that are just loaded with birds i mean i i've got some buddies that have land i mean they're just kind of kicking them out of the driveway there's loaded and you know, they've got stuff going on, their neighbors are doing things, whatever it is. And some, in some of those areas, they could, you know, they could probably, they could kill more birds than what the state allows them to. Um, but at the same time, there, there's some areas where you, there, there's some areas that should probably be shut off from hunting where there's just low numbers to kind of try to build them up. It's like they've kind of, kind of, kind of regress back in some areas Kind of like wild quail. I mean, wild quail have like really just shrunken down and just to certain pockets. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you'd mentioned that swamp buck in South Georgia. Was I want to cover that really briefly because you talk about how you're you're hunting black bear, you're hunting mountain bucks. When you're hunting swamps, is it what are you looking for as far as mm-hmm. going after deer in general or a buck? Because swamps, I mean. You know, every swamp's different. There's all different types. Um, but, you know, you can find, in most swamps in the South, you can find deer sign if you're looking for it or know what to look for. You know, most, mm-hmm. most. But that doesn't mean there's any correlation to what's really going on. Because a lot of times a swamp is just a blanket area where sometimes, sometimes there's no definitive, you know, routes in or outs. What are you looking for? Yeah. In this type of Well, first thing I'll say, you know, what what I'm looking for and going down to these swamps is a place to hunt in November. Because, again, I'm filling out this year-round kind of, you know, lifestyle. And and I've just selected these these big floodplain swamps in South Georgia because I love the swamps themselves. So the first thing I'm looking for is I just love sitting in these swamps. The other thing I love about them hunting them is how dynamic they are. And when I say dynamic, I mean the water, you know, there are some years I go to hunt these places and the water, you know, say this on this track, there might be 2000 acres that I normally hunt. That's completely underwater. And so I love how it changes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I will say that my approach, yes, is a little less, uh, is a little different than in the mountains. You know, I'm certainly scouting quite a bit and, and looking for sign, but as you mentioned, and, and, you know, I'd say the same thing, you know, these swamps oftentimes are loaded with sign. And the other thing, you know, because of my, you know, 
how I switch from one thing to the other. I don't use trail cameras anywhere I hunt. So I don't know what deer are there. I mean, I might be able to get some idea that there's a big deer from some of the sign it's leaving from some tracks I'm seeing, but in general, I'm looking for sign. There's a lot of it in the swamps. And then really what I do is I use, I still, instead of terrain, which I use a lot in the mountains, like I talked about slope aspect, these classic things, people talk about saddles and Mm. knobs and all these things that I can use to help predict deer cliff faces, things like that. I do the same thing in the swamps, but I use water. So, um, you know, and definitely the thickness of, of cover, but the water I often use. So, you know, the places I hunt are full of sloughs and rivers and creeks and oxbow lakes. And I'm oftentimes setting myself up in places where if a deer didn't want to swim, that they're going to get funneled through based on water features. And, and again, I just love those swamps so much. Um, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to set up on a nice feature and just kind of sit there all day and enjoy turkeys in the morning and vultures flying (laughs) around, seeing a gator or whatever it might be. So, um, but I would say the main thing I'm doing down there is yes, I'm looking for sign. I'm not just sitting completely blind. Again, I'm hunting around the rut and I am hunting, you know, whatever you want to call them, rut funnels, things of that nature. Um, But I'm doing it, you know, usually based on water features. I like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's once you get out there and kind of learn how deer utilized a landscape, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it can be, it can be deceiving because people talk about the coastal plains, the deep South flat land, not like the Midwest, no true funnels and pinch points, but the more you start hunting and and especially when you start hunting mobily and you start and you get off the permanent uh, food plots, like the destination food sources. I mean, you sit on a food plot, I I do it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing it, but when you sit on a destination food source for deer, you're, you're, you're waiting for them to come in. So yes, you might know where they're coming from, but you're not really learning how they utilize the landscape, you know, where they're moving through, how they're getting there, are they skirting around something? But what, but the more you hunt the way you're talking about, you learn what they're doing. You know, sometimes deer will just go right through water, other times they won't. And then I tell you that once you can figure that stuff out on any kind of landscape you're hunting, man, it, it, it helps so much when it comes to tracking wounded deer. You hit a deer, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know what? You can process of elimination, rule out that direction because of whatever, this direction. And nine times out of ten, when you know that kind of stuff, it can certainly help. Um, well, man, we've we've covered a lot. You stay busy. I don't see how you time. I mean, you say you work. I don't know. You must, you must be able to work remotely from your, from your phone. Well, based on all that, I got to ask you. Um, if you could, if some, if, if you could only hunt one game animal, mm-hmm. what's it going to be? What is your, what is this your, what is this your favorite that you, you just, it just, I mean, or, or do you have one mm-hmm. or, I mean, is there one that just sets out apart from, from the others? I would say that most of the year, if you asked me. Um, 
And if I was kind of in the midst of most of my activities, I would tell you big woods deer hunting, meaning hunting deer in like um, just very big wild settings, whitetails in particular. I, I love mule deer. I've hunted a lot of mule deer over the years too, but uh, love whitetail hunting. And I love it in big wood settings, whether it's a giant swamp in, in South Georgia or you know, up in the mountains or the Cumberland Plateau, whatever it might be, but big wild landscapes. However, you know, I'd say there's two other times of the year when if you ask me and I'm in the heat of this other activity, I would tell you I'm all in on this. It's my favorite thing. But then the minute it ends, I'm back to deer. And those would be, uh, you know, deer, I'm sorry, uh, hunting turkeys during turkey season. Like I really don't think about turkey season that much, hunting them at least. I think about turkey conservation year round. But um, when I'm hunting them though, I am all in. I mean, and it is a marathon and I'm, I'm going hunting every day of the season. And I mean, I love it. But, um, and then the other time would be, uh, you know, I really love bird dogs and upland hunting. And, and yeah. as I mentioned, in particular, hunting southern woodcock in these big swamps on their winter range uh, and with cockers in particular i, I just i love it and okay. so again I, I if i if you had to put a gun to my head and and say something it'd probably be big woods deer hunting and wherever maine georgia mountains you know you put me down a big cypress hunting deer in florida you know, deer the size of dogs. And I probably love that too, but that big woods, wild setting deer, that'd probably be my favorite, but there are some activities when I'm in the heat of them. And if you ask me then, you know, that's my favorite thing in, in the world. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can imagine there, there, there's something about just watching dogs work, you know, dogs that are trained and bred to, to, to hunt, watching them work and talk, talking about hunting, um, you know, deer and big woods, there, there is something just, just, just cool. Just so thrilling for me is I, I, I do hunt public land, I hunt private more, but when you put yourself in a situation based on whatever kind of Intel, you know, scouting, historical knowledge about landscape or, or deer behavior, you know, it's not, you don't have trail camera footage to go off of. It's not the best food plot in the world. You're just hunting mobily. There's something just that, you know, as a diehard hunter, when, when, when the stars align and then there's the buck kind of doing mm -hmm. what you, what you envision this, you would see by putting yourself in that position. There's just something really cool about that. that's hard to hard to explain probably to someone that's a that's not a that's not a deer hunter um all right based on all that hunting and fishing what's your top three uh wild game meat fish included uh so no particular order just top three or you can put them in order whatever yeah uh bear meat you know, slow cooked and then used for whatever tacos, put into pasta yeah. on a sandwich barbecue. That that's what definitely, uh, one of the top three. Um, I also, I really love, uh, any waterfowl, um, particular mm -hmm. wood, wood duck. I didn't throw, I didn't tell you, mention that in my year round cycle, but I do have a couple of weeks where I really focus on wood ducks. Um, and usually get a number of them for the freezer, but I love wood ducks too. Yeah, so I'd yeah. put them up there. Uh, and then 
Hmm. I had to throw another one in there. What would it be? Let, let me say, I mean, I eat it all. I love it all. Probably squirrels. I mean, you know, I enjoy wow. hunting something like a grouse more, but I love squirrel meat. So, you know, same type over, of thing. Just... Over venison. Over yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's hard to, because venison, you know, I'll, like we talked about this year, I yeah, shot some yeah. bucks, but then I also might shoot three does. I mean, venison's like a staple, meaning like yeah. I'm eating venison almost every day. So, I mean, I love it, but like, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's just kind of yeah venison's up there too i I mean i eat them all and love them but i would certainly say bear is above and beyond Uh, the other thing i'd say is i had a buddy down we're doing a little duck hunting trip in south georgia and he brought uh some sandhill crane and we had a really unique dinner we had sandhill crane breasts we had a dove but it wasn't a morning dove it was a what's it from an from out west but another species of dove okay. and then we had uh another just kind of slightly different meat it wasn't bear meat maybe it was bear meat but we had this this diversity of meats and um but sandhill crane was excellent i've heard that i mean people rave about it about how good it how how good the meat is i i haven't had it you're right about venison i mean i'm a diehard deer hunter but I eat it so much. I mean, I just had some leftovers for lunch. Uh, some kind of skillet, kind of Southwest skillet dish my, my wife made. But you eat it so much, it doesn't lose its luster for me. But like you said, when I pull out some quail or a wood duck or like a turkey breast, or like it's like whoa, you know. Like now, it's like it's like something special, you know. Someone, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's yeah, I I I get it. I do. Um, well, I appreciate your time. Where where can people find you? Probably the best place to find me um, is on Instagram, which is at drcl Jenkins, and that, that's my my uh, handle on there. And um, you know, I uh, welcome people to follow me. I mean, and just so people know, you know, my Instagram is dominated by two things hunting and fishing that I talk about and snakes, uh, you know, I do a lot of snake conservation work in my day job and I love snakes, venomous snakes in particular, I work with them quite a bit. So just be prepared. If you're going to come on my Instagram, you're going to see lots of hunting and fishing and lots of snakes. That's right. And you've got a podcast too. I do. I have a podcast called snake talk and I would encourage everybody uh, to get on there. There's a lot of episodes you know, that would have interest, general interest amongst people, everything from, you know, we have episodes called like everything copperhead, where we just talk, if you want to know anything about a copperhead's biology, I talk to the world's expert and you can learn everything you ever want to know. We have episodes on snake bite in dogs, treating mm. that with veterinarians, uh, aversion training for dogs. Uh, we have snake bite in humans. We have episodes on Pennsylvania's uh, management approach to rattlesnakes, which is linked to hunting and, and, you know, getting a hunting tag and, and there's, you know, specific regulations about what sex and what size and all of this. So there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of episodes that might have some, some pretty general interest to folks. Yeah. It's fascinating. I listen to it ever so often when I can, and it's, it's fascinating. It, it, um, I've enjoyed it. Well, Dr. Jenkins, thanks for your time. It's been fun to recap this and also learn, more about 
how you hunt Bayer and really just getting after them. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Um, amount of time that you put, um, in a bear hunting and mount mountain deer deer across the board. I mean, and then the very end, you tell me that you, that you squeeze in a couple of, a couple of weeks for wood ducks. So you've got a, you've got a, you've got a full plate, but I, but I like it though. It, and I bet, I mean, are there, when you're hunting this, hunting that fishing for this, I, I assume that you're over time, you know, you're Turkey hunting, you're seeing things depending on where you are that might help you out deer hunting or, or bear or this, you know, certain, I mean, that's, you know, when I scout for deer, a lot of times it's, it's like right now before green up, you can see things and even turkey hunting, the green ups happening, but you're, you're just, this is my, one of my favorite times of year because the season's over for deer at least. And so I'm willing and I'm fine going out into areas where I'm not, I wouldn't normally go in and it just helps, um, help scouting and, and check this. I, one last question of all the public land hunting you do across the board. Do you ever, um, uh, just walk scout in the off season or whatever species that is you hear, I've heard hunters talk about that. You know, that they'll, if they're hunting public land, like out, out in the Midwest, like they'll drive, you know, they'll, they'll drive in the summertime whenever do you do stuff like that or are you just hunting so much you've been doing it so long that you kind of have a working knowledge about where to go yeah, i mean I'm, I'm pretty much well if i'm gonna go let's just say this time of year deer season's closed and i want to go look at an area for deer that i couldn't get to and i want to see if there was a buck in there this year um i would i would go do that scouting, but I can guarantee you I'd have a shotgun in my hand. And <laughs> if I saw a squirrel, I'd shoot it. Or I'd have, depending where it was, I might have a bird dog with me. And if I saw a grouse, I'd shoot it. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, your first part of your question, yeah, all of these things are intertwined. And so when I'm walking through the root woods, you know, I'm focused on something, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm focused on that for that hunt, but I'm reading the entire woods. So yeah, I'm cataloging information for turkeys or you know, fishing or whatever it might be. I'm just kind of like always reading all the woods and the vegetation and the topography and tracks and, um, you know, scat, just everything around me. So I'm trying I'm processing it all. I obsessively learn trees. And so I'd like walking through the woods, I'm looking at a tree and I'm naming them in my head and I'm, and so I'm always reading it all. So I feel like, I don't even know if I call it scouting, but it's just, I spend a lot of time in the woods and, I just get to know the woods and get to know many places within the woods. Um, but I would say it's rare. I, I, I go for hikes at times. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but really even at that, that's, there's usually a purpose and, you know, in the yeah. summer, yeah. for example, it's I'm fishing most of the time. So all my hiking is going to be down around creeks somewhere or on around a lake or whatever. So yeah, that like going out to scout is, is really, uh, pretty rare if for deer it's more like in season scouting for me because of that but i i kind of hunt mobile anyways so i'm kind of moving and stopping at places and i might do that on a semi-daily basis anyways so yeah well cool awesome i, I appreciate your time dr. dr jenkins um i know i'm not gonna have time this this 
rest of this season. I, I think I know you're probably already full anyways, but we need to plan a hunt in my place for Woodcock. Bring your dogs, and then we could just um, hunt fox squirrel. We've got yeah. a ton of fox squirrels up there, um, and some wild quail. I, I just we just got to get a dog that can that can point and hunt because those the, 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 those the, those those quail can be a little uh, <laughs> a little hard to get on and point with a dog at times. So. <laughs> yeah no that sounds great i would love that let's do that i love those kind of i call them rough hunts where you go and you're hunting multiple species and you're cooking them together and just just having a good camp atmosphere so i'm down for that yeah, we, next year we've I, I you know i don't i don't really track the woodcock but we've got them i see them mm-hmm. um, we've got some low some of our creek systems spring-fed creeks that go in the swamp or there's some good drop-offs, 10, 15, 20, 20 feet, pretty sharp, um, yep. and then up on upland. So they're there. Um, it's just, you know, this time of year, it's like I'm, one, I'm burned out, and then two, like I'm jumping right into forestry work, burning, and this and that. And it's like I'd love to do it, but that's why I'm saying, like, maybe, you know, we will plan stuff you want to, so I'm going to get something on the calendar. So then I can work around it. So, well, Dr. Jenkins, thanks for being on the Southern Way. I appreciate your time. This has been a blast. Um, I put your info up, and uh, thanks again for 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 being on. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Mark. It was great, uh, great talking with you again. Absolutely, and we'll uh, see y'all next week. <laughs>